0: Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to the third episode of the podcast series we are doing with the awesome Tarun Sibul. We're talking about the state of facilities management in India, the next generation growth opportunities that we're going to see in the FM markets in India, and also linking it up with output-driven contracts or performance-based contracts as we commonly use. Before that, a very warm welcome to you, Tarun. How are you today would you want to say hello to all the listeners absolutely
1: omesh thanks again for the generous introduction and uh, looking forward to as i said you know continue down this fascinating process of thought journey that you've initiated on you know where this fm trajectory is going and uh, so yeah looking forward to the episode and welcome back listeners hope you uh, get something tangible out of this. I know Omesh and I are very passionate about our cause but I hope some of that passion and understanding translates into some learnings for you guys as well.
0: Absolutely. I don't think tarun we would agree that nothing would be more powerful in an outcome if even if a couple of people get to act on it or on a part of it. That would really be be great so taran going forward and proceeding with this episode you very wonderfully laid down a framework moss in the last episode where you identified the four key pillars where the change probably needs to happen if the next set of growth opportunities are to be rightfully targeted by fm company right So we would love to go into details on all four aspects because I believe they are quite distinct, quite relevant and very important in the entire scheme of things. But before we go into the four points one by one, in general, where do you think FM companies can start? Because it might look daunting. I covered this with James as well when we did these facilities management in Southeast Asia. And I would love to know your perspective, especially given the fact that I'm aware that you've looked at similar changes in parallel industries and in altogether different industries. So how do you look at an FM leader who, would, who knows probably that they need to start thinking differently? But how do they really set this, this up? how do
1: they start yeah great great question but a, and a tough one too but i will you know attempt to answer this you know given given some of the flavors that i have experienced you know couple of adjectives here one is network and mm. I'll explain what i mean by that and and the quality of that network and the cost of that network and the value that that network creates or the consistency of response that network creates Hmm. And the second, rather not an adjective, but an example I want to use is of the computer industry, you know, okay. if you look at the computer industry, if you just think about it for a minute, hmm. when it's, you know, it, I mean, I remember I bought my first machine way back in college in the US in, in late 80s, right? hmm. uh, okay. the times of the IBM PS2s, and you know, and then you had the Gateway 2000s coming in. And the whole accent over these last few decades, has been basically, I want all of this, but at a lower cost, right? So even Mm. today, if you think about how the computer, humble computer has evolved, it's the same machine, you have some laptops, you have some tablets Mm. or whatever, Mm. you pack more and more value add into that in terms of software, hardware capability, etc. So from paying for a couple hundred megabytes and Mm. paying thousands of dollars for that, now you pay maybe thousand dollars for a terabyte, right? storage. So Mm -hmm. what essentially happened is that the the components became cheaper, you know computer manufacturers scaled up their operations, Mm -hmm. uh, technology got better, miniaturization Mm -hmm. etc etc and Mm -hmm. all of that but the voice of the customer, clearly the expectation of the customer was that look I want more but at a better value, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Now very interestingly you look at logistics it's been the same journey, okay. right? When I look at the logistics play, I find it was a commoditized product. Yeah, it goes A to B. But you know what, guys, we want it cheaper, right? Yeah. I want it next. Day. I wanted maybe a time definite. I want day definite. I want better reach. I want better surety. I want, you know, tracking and tracing. I want better line of sight. But you know, I don't necessarily want to pay more for it, right? Yeah. These are these are things that you are uh, catering to because you want to uh, sort of demonstrate your uh, capability and sort of service equation and you are trying to elicit from me as a customer, you're trying to elicit my confidence, right? Right. Right? You're building my confidence in your ability, right? That is what it is and if I look at uh, us uh, in the FM space, it is exactly the same, Mm. right? What is the customer asking us? That guy is you know you have partnerships, you have relationships, you do self-delivery, you outsource, you bring in software, hardware, manpower equations. So you are effectively running a network right and the question is how, how can you make your network more efficient to deliver a, a, a better quality service for me right and my expectation therefore from you the FM provider or, or the partner is that you you know, you give me that confidence that, right. that the quality and consistency of response will be will be tremendous, which will right. meet my needs and and, and and get me over the line in terms of my daily activity. But at the same time, you you need to hold your cost because, because that is my expectation that I want to have this at a certain value. Right. Right? right. So that for me encompasses the real mindset shift that we need to do. That instead of looking at parts of the enterprise or the business uh, the way we do it today, we Mm -hmm. need to start looking at the total cost of ownership and we need to start looking at how that total cost of ownership translates into better value by you know the old saying that the sum is greater, uh, sorry the whole is greater than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and that then delivers certain scale efficiencies to a particular customer and I think today that is not central to the FM vision, Omesh, is my mm. opinion.
0: Mm. Interesting that you say that, it, it brings me back to to one of the quotes that has been around for some time but personally, you know, uh, even all of us at Zempla have been deeply inspired. In fact, a lot of work that we are doing has been deeply inspired but that, you know, Jeff Bezos said that virtually everyone asks the question, what's going to change in 10 years? But no one asks the question, what's not going to change in 10 years and in the context of Amazon and perhaps with what you've said in, in context of every business, I don't think there's any customer who would say I would want things expensive or I would want, not want value or I would not want things to be delivered faster, right? Absolutely. So, you know, and, and so the question is, how do you deliver that and remain profitable is what you keep finding out. Your way of delivering that service is going to change and it's very interesting is, is that's what you're alluding is that where FM particularly not just in India where everywhere is going where the expectation understandably is that we don't want to pay as much does not mean that we don't want to pay but we, we want better service we have a different expectation of what we are expecting from the FM companies and the total cost of ownership really comes in handy when we look at hard services. So, that, that really sets the context up, Tarun. And, and what I would really like to do now is having had that initial bit of momentum from you saying, could we look at one or two different aspects of what could be done to set this entire thing in motion? And taking the MOS framework and starting with the management and integrating multiple sites of it. So, what would your recommendation be? I probably once I'll probably ask you one after the other. So first, we'll pick up managing and integrating multiple sites. If an FM yeah. leader has decided that they would want the change, or FM the the group has decided, how do they get to this address this particular point?
1: Absolutely. So let's start with with the M, which is the managing and integrating sites. Now here, Mm. I'll just uh, draw your attention just to pick up the threads on our last episode or the closings of our last episode where we touched, you know, I made about seven points. I said there is a structural Mm. uh, side of the equation or the base to the equation, which is policy, behavior and value. And I had mentioned that there are four areas which impact the customer side of the equation or which is really or the the functional side of the equation which is skill, automation, data Mm. and segments and segments or or maybe you know uh, uh, focus in terms of the market or portion of the market we want Mm. to play in. Mm. So if I pick up those threads, see the whole point of managing and integrating sites is that you need two things. One is reach, which needs to have a strong overlay of consistency. Right? If if I don't have adequate reach, and I don't have a strong overlay in terms of the consistency of response, then I will fail at some point in time to deliver value. Now that consistency of service can be given or can be provided through a number of levers this can be automation data and consequently standardization thereof mm. you know. mm. can be through better focus in the segment or the portion of the market that we want to deliver in right, right. that could be geographical it could be service focus etc mm. and of course the the skill or the problem solving ability of mm. the teams on the ground. Mm. Now, Now, if you just think about this, this is one, I mean if it's network is the whole pie, yeah. then this is one piece of that pie yeah. and, and if I have to tweak in this arena, what would I have to do or how do I see it as a team member on the ground or, or, or leading a particular function mm. is that okay, within the sphere mm. right, how is my network behaving? If I am self-delivering, what right. is the consistency yeah. of response of my teams? Are they spread too thin? Do they have the right skill sets to deliver? Am I providing them with the right tools and ammunition in terms of training and understanding of, of the space that they are operating in? If it is automation and, and let's say data accents, then do, is that part of that tool chest, right? Am I able to balance and, and give uh, value by combining manpower effort and mechanization effort? rather than treating them as silos, right? right? Is that resulting in a better quality response and therefore savings for the client? That is how you start unfolding the argument, I would add as we pry open these layers and and we need to start somewhere. So the idea is not to boil the ocean, but we identify an engine which would pull the rest of the train. And of course that engine will be different for different FM outlets. But the leadership thinking has to go in that direction to say that, okay, what am I really good at? Is my technical ability very strong class of systems or assets or etc or am I very strong in a particular geography or a set of geographies? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. These are the questions which would then unfold the rest of the the uh, sort of strategy if you will or the execution if you will. Yeah? So, yeah. so that, that kind of makes, uh, makes sense in terms of because for me it's, it's these are not Again, mm-hmm. as I said again, and I have pains to point out that these mm-hmm. are not to be seen in silos. The MOS framework is basically tied around ownership. Mm-hmm.
0: So basically, I mean, if if I could take a couple of points out of that. So if anyone is supposed to be looking at scaling and managing different or integrating multiple sites, I think you said that obviously a the Moss framework in, in itself, none of the pillars are independent. They are all interdependent uh, to a very large extent. And the second is that you are you definitely have to take a sort of holistic view and understanding of technology and mechanization to what extent where all that goes in the dna or goes by the dna of that FM company one may have different you know sort of advantages versus the other in that sense so that that really makes sense you know Tarun how about getting into the O component of of Moss, looking at operation anything and, and a couple of questions that i had basically how can customers influence how the fm companies are operating what are some of the best case implementations that fms could look at when it comes to operations and changing the way they operate
1: yeah so so let's park the customer side for a minute mm-hmm. okay because uh, we we'll let, let's address the the O and the S and the S. And, and I think the customer equation will come oh. sort of segue into that uh, post that. Let's uh, but I just want to first highlight what we, you know, the operating model side. And I think mm. I want, I look at this from the lens of risk or risk transfer. Okay. Mm. Now, currently we are incentivizing cost mm. as a as a manpower cost plus uh, model that we see is base delivery that we see across. Most of the landscape, FM landscape. This means what this is doing is it's not incentivizing the total cost of ownership because I think while and it's not even transferring any risk. So so which is very interesting for me. The insight for me is mm. that by by asking a vendor partner or FM right. partner and telling them that look, you know, we just want the manpower from you and we know everything about our site. What they've essentially done is that they've kept the risk to themselves, right? right. Yeah. Now, they have not read by by looking at just the operation and maintenance side of things through a financial lens, they are not really looking at their total cost of ownership of that asset, yeah. right? If, what if you know, if there is because if if certain decisions are suboptimal, in terms of their own carriage of that risk, right. then the uh, then the issue on the other side can be that after five years or seven years, that asset quality can rapidly deteriorate, right? And what what would be what would have been an X spend would then amount to maybe X plus five or X plus ten, right? Right. You with me, right? And, and so that is one side of of the frame, right? Mm. The other side of the frame is that by by keeping that risk to themselves. Right, they are justifying it that well, you know, we know our product, we know our systems, we are best positioned to to effect that. But that is also perhaps distracting from their core, which is maybe manufacturing or whatever they are doing. Mm, right. So mm. they 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 therefore they are probably you know looking at or or investing in areas which are possibly suboptimal to their scheme of things okay right. now if if they choose to de-risk that operation and this also happens where they say well you know we'll get another vendor partner and we'll ask them to take on some SLAs and we'll give them some you know definition around the cost plus you know a bit of a hybrid model where they'll yeah. also hold you accountable for on the manpower side then suddenly you have an issue where you you are transferring risk or you're wanting to transfer risk to the vendor partner mm. but you're not willing to put a commensurate value On the assumption of that risk, right? So the vendor partner is being told that look, you take all this on, right? But I'm not going to reward you for that. I'm going to hold you accountable and responsible for the whole pie. Mm. But there is no incentive, therefore, for the vendor partner, because the vendor partner is still being evaluated on the manpower side of the equation.
0: But I have a question, right. Dharan, over here, if I may. So, for example, quite clearly, you said that currently, um, you, you were due to that the customer he is not doing away with the risk, right? And hence, this entire shift of the new working model becomes very difficult to come through. And a lot has to do with the customer education. And I'm sure, you know, when you look at people who are in business development, sales, they do talk to customers, tell them what's happening. But what is the other thing that, I mean, just curious because I've often been someone who said that, okay, you know, don't wait for for things to happen, uh, if you could make things happen. So just curious whether you know or, you, or, or whether you think of, of some examples in India or outside where you see that, you know, an FM company clearly went out of the way and did something and established and said, okay, here is is a working model of how we can look at doing it instead of just waiting. For the customers to to react and and open the doors, is that doable? Is is that something that you recommend that, that companies in India could?
1: Yes, I think there are. So we have seen and this kind of segues a little bit into the S Mm -hmm. sort of specialist workforce, a little Mm -hmm. bit there's an overlap. So -hmm. what we found is that wherever uh, there are companies and there are some very, very good outfits in India, where they have, you know, they've gone on the side of that we want a very tight model. So they've Mm -hmm. got a very strong engineering team supported by a fantastic workforce. This workforce lo and behold is old in the system. So these are not guys who are, there's no high attrition rate right Right. and these guys are there for maybe seven years or ten years and and they are holding on to that and what they've seen over a period of time is that their asset maintenance and the overall cost of ownership has actually started to come down and they start to see more gains because, because instead of you know, and we, and we know what, that, what those levers are, right? Oh, Makes you sense know, sense. Five years, I don't want, mm-hmm. want to pay gradually or I, or I want to sort of just uh, rejig manpower every two to three years. I want certain type of blending because I'll get lower cost. Right. But you see the trait there, Omesh, is that mm-hmm. you're losing out on quality people because once they train on your environment and on your system, especially on the engineering side, you know, the gains on that come in about three to four years. You have to be patient. Right, Right. to to get that curve down and for it to start behaving in the manner that you want it to behave. Mm. So I think to answer your question, I think there are uh, certainly cases in the market where this has been done very successfully. Mm. Another uh, area where this has been done very successfully is where uh, certain organizations have taken a call that look, we want a very thin back office. We Mm. don't want over invested or over rather a better word would be a bloated back office and what we want is a a very small core team which is really managing and and interfacing with a strong vendor partner Mm. who is basically responsible for you know the complete pie if you will right so the complete network whether it is spares or supply chain or you know audits or different Mm. types of uh, operations and maintenance activity, or it is compliance activity, etc. So right. the idea is that you freed up the organization to do what they do best, which mm. is you know whatever it could, case could be, you know maybe commercial development or investments or manufacturing or, or whatever you know, the you know, core process might yeah. be, yes. whatever the core core process may be. Mm. But what we've done, what you've done is you've held the vendor partner responsible, and 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 then that and then you know you become a part of their strategic process. Now a favorite example of uh, what we did at least in the logistics space with this was that we sort of became part of the value chain of the customer. So for example uh, why did logistics move from 3PL to 4PL for example right because it was not just storing it was about why can't I manage your returns and you know your reverse logistics. Why can't I manage your co Why can't I Why? actually deliver directly from the warehouse to the customer, right? Uh-huh. So these are the new runways of revenue that, that were identified. Uh-huh. These uh-huh. also then translate into great value for both the customer and for the uh, logistics company in question. And more importantly, it, it, it made the entire operation extremely uh, streamlined within and, and brought in an incredible efficiency. To the whole product, right? Which is where I think we are, we've started to knock on a few doors in that direction. But I think there is a behavioral change that needs to come in. And I think that has to come in from a, from a customer perspective, uh, the user perspective, as well as from the vendor partner perspective, is, is what I firmly believe.
0: Hmm. So just staying on this connect that you established between the workforce and, and you obviously alluded to supply chain and everything sort of, again, uh, hinting back towards saying that do more for your customer, add more value, keep finding ways in which you can add value to your customer, but staying back on the on the specialized workforce and, and the fact that the cost of that workforce is going to increase, acquiring, uh, you know, and, and retaining and and, and upskilling them or cross scaling them. What could an FM company do right? I mean, because a lot of times you see we don't make the decisions right away, we always leave it till the point in time, something becomes a big, bigger issue. And we do know that the, that the blue collared workforce working in a data first environment is always going to be a challenging thing. And we've yeah. spoken so much about data, you know, virtually impossible that there's not going to be data coming into the environment in which the the blue collar workforce works as well. So any thoughts on how thought process could go in early in terms of the tools that you want to invest in, in terms of the software trajectory or your digital transformation trajectory. Any any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, so see on the on the when we say on the you mentioned hiring and retention, right? In in right. terms of the the specialized or, or in terms of the workforce. Right. Now, the, the hiring part, I, I, I mean, let, let me first focus on, the, see the hiring part, there is no magic wand as such. It mm-hmm. is about, you know, it is about driving the right conversations and if you have a very strong specialist recruitment area, which, which I think is emerging in, where, you know, rather than have generic people heading it, if I have, you know, if I'm hiring for a boiler system or I'm hiring for pharma or I'm hiring for a certain a geography and if okay. I understand that, uh, that very well, then right. obviously my matching job descriptions or or skill sets will be much much better, and right. I will more often than not hit the bullseye right in terms of my hiring sort of piece, if you will. Hmm. The retention side, I believe that is key because more and more you know we talked about war for talent and how we have a very small uh, skill pool to so look not after. In any case, we have a very small pool. So how do I refresh that training? Hmm. What do I do to proactively make them feel because obviously promise everybody a promotion that is not the way out but how do I ensure that there you know there is job enrichment in terms of what they do in terms of personal learning curve Uh, so if even if they are in cleaning you know maybe better tools maybe better understanding of technical cleaning practices as opposed to just you know vanilla based cleaning practices if they are in if they are on the system side on the technology side then Maybe a better understanding and appreciation in terms of, you know, how that system is working, what are competing technologies, you know, what are the kind of maybe helping them with certain licenses and certifications to make them a lot more relevant and to prolong their life cycle within the workforce, yeah, their value cycle. Now, the reason those steps are not being or enough of those steps are not being taken is because we are not unlocking that potential. Because the only way to do that is to go back to this whole thing where we started, which is that how do I start moving towards effort, value-based performance, right? Measuring, you know, key performance indicators as opposed to a subjective level of performance where I'm not really, you know, even even I don't understand that if I have hired 100 people mm. and they are actually giving me productivity of 60 people and I'm paying 100 people, uh, the cost is still 100 then yeah. I'm not winning, right? As opposed okay. to if I'm hiring maybe 85 people or 75 people and they are giving me a, product, a productivity level of 100 or 120, which means yeah. I'm maximizing my potential at site, yeah. right? Yeah. And and, and nobody is measuring this, I, I think the, and, uh, and, and not only measuring this, I think nobody is really looking to start unlocking uh, it from a longer term than a short term one year or a eight month or a 10 month cycle which also you know I will hasten to add here a lot yeah. of our contracts 12 months
0: right yeah that's that's one problem that you you do not have a long-term visibility so you don't know whether you end hmm. up doing something and whether or not you're going to be around next year or not. so that's obviously a deterrent in that absolutely,
1: hmm. absolutely. and I think successful organizations are starting to this is what I said where I said that you know how do you make FM a little more strategic How do you make it a much more integral part of your pie? And the moment you start focusing from a procurement based perspective or even a user perspective that really what is my total cost of ownership? Let me not just look at the ownership cost in terms of what I'm paying to the vendor. What does it mean carry yeah. the customer
0: base? Hmm. And right. actually, in one of the podcasts, it's interesting that you bring this up. The, in one of the, the, the podcasts that I had released, I had mentioned that if, if a company can take a strategic role, right, I mean, that's a vendor hmm. can take a strategic role and use cost and technology as a leverage to obviously provide a better offer or cost to that particular partner, I mean, sorry, the customer. I think there, that is a great lever to use to say that, okay, I'm willing to do this, but I would need a two or a three year contract versus saying Absolutely. that, okay, I mean, and that's where I think that there could be a bit of proactiveness coming through. We have started seeing this. I am personally you know, aware of situations in some of the countries that we're working in where there are parallel bids being placed. You say, okay, hmm. this is a compliant bid and this is a non-compliant bid. Right, and a non-compliant bid will give you 30% cost reduction. Ensure that everything works well, and you know. But we will need a longer contract where you know the customer gets what they would end. As, as you rightly said, they should, we should be worried about the total cost of ownership and not just what you pay to the FM, but what right. is in totality going out. So that actually is a great strategy. I mean, I'm not sure how many in India are doing it, but I think it would make for a for a for a great way to have a, a rightful uh, sort of negotiation, as I would as as we would say in the in the way the fm contracts are structured right now
1: absolutely i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more because see the moment you start thinking about this whole picture holistically then the thinking completely changes right then i'm starting to think that okay i i'm not looking at oh how many people do i need on the site that's not my starting point then my starting point is that I need to, I need to manage a site which is X thousand square feet or X million square feet, or it has so many megawatts of power that I'm generating. Mm. This is my cooling response. This is what I need on the ground on a daily basis. This these are the parameters I need to control. And what is the best solution that I can bring? Absolutely. Right? Then the whole thing changes because then the whole uh, the, the whole response mechanism to that will change. Because then, then sense. you are asking a question then you're asking the questions very differently as opposed to saying, Absolutely. you know, I, I need to put 100 people, I'll put 95 and I'll win the game. That's not, that's not a real response.
0: Absolutely. You know? I think over here, if you ask the question in the, in the fundamentally way where you look at going backwards from the output, and again, this again, it probably leads us to the fact that everything is pointing out towards clearly defining the output and then going backwards. Yeah. Whereas clearly defining input and not knowing what the output is going. But, but before we move to that, I think there's one S left in, in the MOS framework. Anything more to add on the strategic? I, I mean, I, I personally would love to know if you think, is, are there any tailwinds which in Indian context where you lay that FMs can use to create a strategic shift? Anything that you, you, you obviously in the introduction episode created and you've spoken about a lot of construction that's happening in India or development that's happening in India be it data yeah. centers, be it airports, be it, you know, a lot of real estate that obviously has been developing, but anything else that you want to add on and say, okay, this is mesh, you know, few tailwinds which are really helping FMS to create a strategic shift.
1: Absolutely. I think a couple of things that come to mind or a few things that come to mind is one you've already mentioned is, mm. the, is the whole impetus towards building infrastructure, right? Mm. And we are seeing that build, whether it is data centers, there's an announcement every second or third day. Mm. Uh, you look at now the monetization of assets, whether it is in ports or airports, etc. Uh, right. That's another uh, biggie. And so one of course is the overall thrust in terms of getting India to the 21st century in terms of world-class infrastructure which is used by people on a daily basis. So be it roads, be it railway stations, be it ports, be it airports, right? All of that, right? The second area where, where one is starting to see a, a, a change is the way the last 24-48 months have led to greater demand for data-based responses. Okay, so uh-huh. that demand has come up, right? More and more people are demanding yeah. that Look, I would want so, have, as I said to you, you and uh, I think in one of our earlier conversations during the the first podcast, we talked about the first episode. We talked about that mm. you know people may not even realize what they are asking yet, but they are certainly starting to say that. Look, I wish I had you know I had a single source of truth, for example, mm. Uh, mm. in terms of. Uh, so and, this am, and, this and this is the customer. And this <laughs> is the customer. This is the customer. This is the customer. This is basically the customer saying that look, I am a head of engineering sitting in yeah. Delhi. Right. I have four other sites in four other uh, cities, I am not able to physically go every day to go to see what's going on but I want rather than a report at the end of the month where there's a lag of 30 days, how right. can I view all my data in real time so, so that I can have better quality of decision. So that that is starting to come through more and more. And it could also be, for example, there's another area where this is coming through is the OEM side of the equation, right? So even though there's a lot of new infrastructure installed, et cetera, and OEMs are responsible, we do know that OEMs, even during the DLP period, we do find that there is sometimes a a slip between the cup and the lip. Right, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. what happens is the OEM mm-hmm. says, "Well, you know, that may not be my issue. It may be a project-related issue. So it's a project response. Right, right? So it's not an equipment response. Right, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the project team should rectify that. And then what happens is uh, a genuine issue tends to fall through the cracks, and there are delays, etc., etc. So how do you uh, tangibly get a fix on that? Right, right. Is, is a challenge. Right, and these are all customer challenges. These are not. Challenges coming from our perspective. This is what we are hearing from various customers. customers. in the dialogue that we are driving, right? And the third area that we see this moving into more and more is that uh, is what I said earlier. Is that I would, if I have six sites, or ten sites, or four sites, I want the same process being driven everywhere. I want it to shift from a people-based response to a process-based response. Now, whether you standardize that through a better set of SOPs or method of operating procedures, whether they follow a certain checklist and do all of that, I'm fine with that. Or you say no, I'm going to, you know, put in a technology to facilitate that, that's fine too. But the bottom line is that I'd like the same language and the same Uh ecosystem played out across all my sites seamlessly. So these are three areas where we've started to see a push, right? And, and, And I think The conversations have started and now the challenge of course is that how do we deliver on this.
0: But that's where the opportunity also lies with the FM company. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so glad to hear that you're you're actually witnessing this and I mean as you said that the customers may not be completely aware that they're asking what they're asking for but eventually they are looking at much more data-driven interventions versus you know purely uh, set processes or you know experience or contribute decisions as we used to call it back in the days so that that wraps up our moss framework and and what i'm really looking at as more we speak throughout the this the series is there are two critically emerging trends one is this specialization or segmentation to a certain extent again going back to what we said either it would happen on a on a service basis or on a sector basis but that's actually one of the things that that's going in and the other is yep. that everyone hinting to everything hinting towards output-based contracts. Is, is would it yep. be fair to say that uh, to draw these two major structural shifts? I mean, it may not happen overnight, but it is something that's 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 in you know in the cards in that sense. Would, we, would it be fair to say yeah, that? Yeah, totally Omesh?
1: yeah. I think for us, you know, for us as an industry and as players mm-hmm. in this industry to be successful, I think specialization is going to be key. Playing on a narrow front with the right kind of differentiation and response is going to be key. Mm. And, 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 a, and a performance-based response, objective performance-based response rather than a subjective response uh, will mm. be the way
0: forward. That's awesome, Param, because it leads us very well to the next episode, where we are going to then probably talk about what exactly would be an output-based contract, how do you set the expectations between FM and customer, because I think evaluation will become important, because as as we said that the current way of evaluation was very straightforward, right, number of people, you know, very little of what's happened. Uh, Nothing to look back on total total cost of ownership if you really look at the hard services. Nothing to look back on KPIs when you look at other services. But now when you do move into the the segmentation, start to offer technology-driven sort of solutions, reduce the kind of number of people that you put on the response as a function of output. So it becomes very important on how do you define, how do you get into the, the contract and more importantly, how does the FM customer relationship change? with versus what it is. And perhaps we'd also like to cover on how does the conversation between the site team changes with the portfolio, with the corporate body as far as FM is concerned. So I think that's that's going to be an interesting way to wrap up the entire series, having discussed the state of the FM in India, having brought up the MOS framework, having spoken about key ways in which FM companies can move towards sort of settling out the MOS framework, the four components, and, and sort of moving towards segmentation, specialization and output based contracts and then trying to wrap it up and saying okay what would be an OBC? how can it be evaluated. That is super amazing in, in that sense. Tarun, anything else that you would like to add before we big adieu in, on, on this podcast episode?
1: No, I think I think you you set it up beautifully, you know, and you've summarized it really well. I think what you know, I I look forward to examining with you exactly what what is an outcome-based contract, what behavioral change that will that entail, you know, for all the stakeholders. You mentioned that clearly brought that out and most importantly, how do you evaluate against that because it's not just and how do you set it up, right, because because the 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 setup and the evaluation process right. is extremely important because that is what governs the relationship uh, through the course of the engagement, right? So I think on all th- these three areas and then what does it mean emotionally? I think a lot, of, lot sure. of time we get that there's a lot of emotion built in as well because you have stakeholders who believe and not only think but they believe that they are doing their best in, in right. terms of the you know, data sets or whatever that they see in front of them, and they're trying to make the best uh, decisions as far as their organization goes. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you you know, sort of help them to see a different point of view, right? And, and, and I think these are all areas which, which are worth uh,
0: examining. And I look forward to sort of, you know, sparring with you on these on the next one. Awesome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. And and obviously from the perspective of the listeners, uh, as we in the conversation that we are doing, thanks a ton, Tarun, for some amazing points. To the listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode. We hope, as Tarun mentioned, that you're getting some of the actionables on moving towards a transformation, enabling it in your own manner. If there's anything else that we should be discussing in the last episode, feel free to ping me or Tarun on Linden and we'll be more than happy to take uh, the feedback and, and incorporate that in the last episode of the series. Thank you so much. Take care and see you. Thanks, Sumesh. And thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.